Hey, this is Daryl here, and I've got three things to tell you. Number one, spoiler alert ahead for episode two of The English Game on Netflix. Taylor and I will be reviewing uh, that episode on today's show. Number two, US Soccer has a new CEO. William Wilson was announced yesterday as the new US Soccer CEO. We will be discussing that on tomorrow's show, as well as answering some listener questions. Number three, today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated and productive at home, Remarkably Remote is here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Hello and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man whose voice goes all high-pitched and reedy when he lies. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Moments of levity. Moments of levity in between industrial strikes and almost violence. Certainly was. It certainly was. Uh, It's a good high pitch you got there as well. Well done. Um, I do my best. We are reviewing The English Game on Netflix, episode Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about it too much in detail, Taylor, but from mm-hmm. what I could tell, it sounds like I liked this one a lot more than you did. That seems to be correct. If, if, you, if you were a big fan of this one, I think, yeah, you definitely liked it more than I did. Well, so I'm at least going to say that I enjoyed this a lot more than the first episode. The first episode felt a little clunky to me, a lot of setting things up, a lot of things that it wasn't quite clear what was going on. This one I quite liked that it was focused on the strike. Um, and, you know, we got Kinnaird going up north and him mixing with the working class folk. Uh, so, yeah, I felt like it was a bit more focused, if anything. So I think there's two things there. I think you asked me about historical accuracy last week, and like I didn't have an issue with it. This week I did, because there is absolutely no chance that Arthur Kennard was involved in that like strike and running away from people and hiding in a person's house. Yeah. And this week felt very much like a dramatic narrative, as opposed to actually here's what happened uh, in the lead up to this uh, FA Cup clash. So I think that was maybe it. Is just it felt like there was a lot of drama that really didn't seem like it could have happened and also maybe didn't need to happen okay but what if you sort of move past that and accept that they're Mm going to take all these liberties with history and they're going to put characters together Mm -hmm. that probably didn't even have more than a passing conversation and they're going to put Arthur Kinnaird in mortal danger which maybe he never was you know it's a dramatic license right if you get past that was this a good episode of sort of dramatic, interesting television for you? I, I think it, it, like the other thing for me is that there's not a lot of subtlety here. Like you don't need to shoot a dog for me to know that it's not cool that this guy's arrested. I'm with like, you it, on that. There was, yeah, that. Uh, yeah, there was just a few moments like that where it was just so clunky of like, have we conveyed that it's bad? Let's murder the dog. Yeah, like, it, I it, even, just, it felt a little bit like like too much there. It was even foreshadowed a little bit, right? Where just the way he, you don't really know much about the dog, and he's off out, and he's heading into danger, and he's like, lady. And you sort of think, oh, no. Yeah, oh, that was no. the first part I rewatched because even all you had to do there from a writing standpoint was just have the dog. Like, my dog, if I leave, wants to go with me. Like, it just needed to be like, oh, this, this infernal dog won't leave me alone. And then it sets up that it wants to protect him, and then it gets shot for trying to save him. Like, that even would have worked. Do you know, but just having him be like, oh, well, I'm bringing the dog with me for reasons. Do you know the website, doesthedogdie.com? Yes. So I never thought I would have to check uh, doesthedogdie.com for an episode of a game about football from the 1800s, but turns Mm -hmm. out you do. It's also worth noting this this show 
it's really just had one horrible moment in each episode, right? There's the miscarriage from episode one. I mean, Lenny proposing marriage was pretty horrific, but for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so so I guess we can get more into it as we go. We did have some people say, like, it's just supposed to be TV. Like, you guys were a little bit harsh on it. I'm enjoying it. And that's fair. It's TV. It's okay to like a show. It's not HBO. I, I just, it's TV. Yeah, it is. It is yes. <laughs> um, I was going to say, it is definitely not HBO. Uh, but uh, it is okay to like this show. I just, I think I found myself sort of less focused on a few things that were happening and asking a lot more questions like, are they walking miles and miles to get to her job? I'm confused by this. Oh, I, I have the answer to that. It is, yeah. we saw in episode one, it is one mm. mile to Blackburn. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. They, the signage I mean, is there. I, you know, it's a, she has to walk a mile to work. Like, I feel like you could see more than a mile on that, on that long, 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 long walk. But, uh, but who knows? Who knows for sure? Who knows for sure? <laughs> All right. Should we, uh, should we get to it? Yeah. Let's, we, we're basically going to roll through this episode chronologically, right? So yep. the first thing to note is it's six months after the defeat to Old Etonians in that fourth mm-hmm. round replay. Um, the first thing we see is Arthur and Alma, and they're definitely not talking about the miscarriage. They're not even, ba- they're not even barely talking around it, right? It's just mm-hmm. Arthur having trouble talking to his wife. I mean, on the plus side, he's not wearing a monocle and a top hat and screaming, why are these foreigners here? So at least we've seen that uh, positive growth from him as opposed to uh, United Passions. This, I just had to bring that up one more time. This, oh, because he's also in United Passions. <laughs> yes. Oh. He is the stereotypical Englishman screaming at people. Yes. See, that, see that's, so, to me, that's the interesting thing of uh, representing historical people on screen. It really can mm-hmm. go either way. It really can. It's very, it's very strange to see. But yes, here we just see him being very quiet and introspective. Yeah, I liked him a lot more in this episode, which I think is part of the point of it. Yeah, I think so. It's supposed to humanize. I mean, he ends up being the hero, right? And saves Darwin. Yeah, so you, you by, gotta love him. by being wealthy and raising his voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, 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 that was the other moment of like, excuse me, a white man is talking. A rich <laughs> like, man. Like, a lord. And the whole court shuts down. A lord. I mean, but it's probably not an inaccurate representation of late 1800s uh, England, right? Um, uh, cough, cough. Not yet a lord. Cough, cough. All oh, right, yeah. The heir. He's the heir. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, then the first thing we see from yeah. our hero, our, our other hero, because it's really Arthur and yes. Fergus's story, right? Fergus Souter's tactical pitch to Walsh in the office. This was, I watched ahead last week, just five minutes. This is the scene that got me really excited because Fergus lays out the idea for the two, three, five. He says, mm-hmm. less forwards, more backs. We're going to have two fullbacks, three halfbacks, which is the old fashioned word for midfielder, and we'll keep five up top. Yeah. I mean, there we go. We, we saw the pyramid. We saw the Christmas tree. It was all very exciting. We did the Christmas tree. Uh, I think, yeah, isn't that what it's, uh, or the reverse Christmas tree, I suppose it is, the upside down Christmas tree. Uh, but it was, it was interesting to see. It was interesting to hear them talk about the, uh, the saturation of the ball and how heavy it can get and how that impacts, uh, the way you play the game. That was, yeah, that's, that was all fascinating. I enjoyed that part. It's a good observation from mm-hmm. Suta that we should practice with the wet ball and the dry ball so that, you know, when match day comes, we, we can go with either. I don't think that deserves you're a bloody genius, Fergus, from Walsh. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, like it's leather just an gets observation. Wet and yeah. thus gets heavier. I, I feel like if you're if you own a mill, you're probably aware of the saturation qualities of certain fibers. Yes, I agree. I absolutely agree. And then we have a bit of foreshadowing when we see uh-huh. the practice, right? There's the team practice. Fergus is basically coaching this team. He's coaching mm-hmm. these Englishmen how to pass a football. You don't have to like all get in a line and run at each other, you can pass the ball. And Cartwright, the Blackburn chairman, turns up to watch, which you know, turns out to be kind of a, a little hint at what's coming in the future. If you know the history, you know that Fergus Suter, um, mm-hmm. spoiler alert for a transfer from the 1800s, you know that Fergus Suter ends up playing for Blackburn. 
He does. He does indeed. And yes, we, we did have Cartwright show up to watch the training. We had an email or a tweet. I forget which one. And I apologize. I cannot remember the person's name who sent it to us. I read it this morning. And, and I think they uh, he or she hit the nail on the head about why some of the soccer footage is really not as maybe appealing or it doesn't pull you in as much. And it's because you never get the sort of wide angle of what's happening. You never see the shape on the field. And given that the idea is like it's all about spacing and we're spreading out for passing, it would be lovely if we just got one like overhead, even just a drone shot that showed us sort of how they're spreading out and how they're playing differently instead we get like very tight close-ups and that that's my one sort of drawback from the way they're kind of filming the footage or filming the games themselves i mean but that would be for us right that would be for the tactics nerds who want to Mm -hmm. know the majority of people watching this probably don't want to know i mean i mean but like i'm never like i I Maybe, but like I'm, I have never been in a shootout before, and yet I feel like you have to show like where people are in relation to each other in order to understand the shootout when it's happening in an action movie. And I feel like here, if you saw him say like, "Guys, we're too bunched up, everybody spread out," and you had the overhead shot as they spread out, and you saw how they could utilize more space, that might be all we need to understand why he's this visionary, revolutionary genius, as opposed to, "Hey, balls get wet, and then they're heavy." <laughs> well, you do hear him saying to the English, you know, "Spread wide, spread wide, spread wide." Mm-hmm. I think I honestly think that's that's all you need. This is a problem Tell with chill, baby. Tell don't chill. This is a problem with all uh, football um, on uh-huh. film and on TV. Yeah. Is it's never really for football fans, right? It's mm-hmm. or, or for football tactics-y people. It's more just uh, about showing who's in charge and who's doing well and who's doing badly. That's all. That's all it's about. And so they never show you anything that's realistic football-wise. That, that is definitely true, and I think if you need more emphasis that this is not necessarily a like football-centric show, uh, I think the next note we have is bank meeting. Yes, so it's worth noting here that I feel like they've got us all amped up for the football uh-huh. with showing us yeah. the two, three, five, and you and you know we're ready to go. And the game against Brig is coming, the first round FA Cup match, and then there's no football in this match, right? It ends. This mm-hmm. episode ends later on, right before kickoff, and I've got this mm-hmm. feeling that that's a deliberate choice. It's almost trying to put you in Fergus's shoes, where you're you're just keen for the football. But all this strike stuff is getting in the way. So I think they did a good oh, job of making us like adopt Fergus's uh, perspective. Okay, uh, I want to pause here to ask you about this. Like, yeah. did you find the whole like, yes, I know there's like a, 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 a an economic collapse coming, but come on, let's all just play sport. I felt like that really didn't resonate for this specific time period. Like, I had a really hard time sort of siding with Fergus on this one, where yes. he's like, no, football's what matters way more than like your wages and the collapse of your town, and uh, like it was weird when they threw coronavirus in there as well. <laughs> I, I thought that was a strange reference for him to make in 1879 or whatever. I absolutely was, agree. Just one his thing. his okay. priorities are absolutely all wrong. Okay. All right, cool. I, I just, I, I just like, I really, I think we're. I was supposed to identify with him more, and thus maybe that conflict is bigger at the end. But for me, when I was just like, yeah, man, like these people have families, they got to feed. Yep. They're not making any money because the mill owner or the mill owners want to make more profits. Like, yeah, that's not really a great argument for. We'll just play some soccer. It'll be fine. So there's the quote after they're all preparing to strike, um, mm-hmm. where Fergus says to Jimmy, "The best way we can bring people together is by winning the FA Cup for them." And I thought, no, Fergus, because they'll still all starve to death. Yeah, spoken like Zhao Havalange in United Passions. My last reference for that one. But literally, that's how he explains away like the like military junta in Argentina. It was like, the people need soccer. It'll be fine. No, the people need freedom. <laughs> they certainly do. So but yes, you in said, our bank meeting. Next up, yeah, we are at the bank meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is where um, it's a young Kennard in with everybody else. And we get told that the mill owners are asking for another loan. Uh, because they don't have enough money because there's been some sort of downturn in people buying uh, cotton goods. 
mm-hmm. um, and they're, they're having this meeting and deciding whether to extend the loan or not. And Arthur Kennard volunteers to go up there, to go to Blackburn and take a look at what's going on. My favourite thing is when he tries to, uh, Kennard's dad tries to get Parker to go. Do you remember what Parker mm-hmm. says when he's asked um, to go up north to Blackburn? It's basically just like, north? He says, how far north is it exactly? All the way to Winterfell? To the wall? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so can you explain that? Because I think there will be people, I kind of only know it from, I think, the full Monty and from you explaining why, like, like sometimes, and I think Liverpool and the Anfield rep, like how there was this kind of divide in England that maybe uh, still exists today. Oh, yeah, the, why, why was it such a thing that, like, he didn't want to go north? I mean, the power and the wealth and the government mm-hmm. is all concentrated uh, around London and in the southeast of England and the the very basic divide is like all the all the money is in the south and all the factories are in the north yeah and the wildlings too and the wildlings well that's but that's kind of what game of thrones is getting at right by having um, yeah the sort of less fancy people um up north it's why sean bean played ned stark sean bean is uh from sheffield which is a you know slightly different area to to blackburn because blackburn is uh lancashire as we know from the beatles uh, but, but Parker is not going north. That's what we do know. What I, he is certainly not. This, this is a part that really um, rung true for me. When um, Arthur Kennard says he'll go up there and he'll, he'll stay with Monkey, um, his friend mm-hmm. Monkey, who I believe is on the football team, his dad says, is there anywhere in the country where you don't have a football friend? Yeah, I like that because you would hear that like said with a very different intonation these days. It would be more like bewildered astonishment. Like uh, Steve, not it wasn't Steve Berlusconi. That's incorrect. Uh, but who did the, uh, who did the the tour around the country, like staying with people and going to games? Steve Berlusconi. I love the idea of that. <laughs> um, yeah, Steve from the football tour. Yeah, yeah. there we go. Yeah, the like that team. would like it's like he he basically established that you can go around the country and make friends and and stay with people and like it's this great community. Whereas of course the 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 lord uh the tenth lord i believe uh would would say oh like you're staying with with people to play sport unacceptable so do you think that's sort of um the makers of this show uh mm-hmm. julian fellows and co like a little wink to the camera of like yeah the way it is now the way football is going to go is you do have football friends all over the country and that's a great thing but in the 1800s the tenth lord of kinnaird is saying it in a very dismissive um yeah. mocking kind of way it's probably it's probably uh, yeah a good way to show that like wait what you don't you're not okay with that it would it does sort of instantly remind you that the tenth lord of Canaird uh, or Lord Canaird is uh, not the friendliest warmest of fellows. <laughs> so Arthur is going to go north to Blackburn, where we know mm. that Darwin is not far away, just a miles walk away across the grass. Um, so we know <laughs> that he's going to get involved with all the or ten thousand miles, all whatever. the Darwin guys. Um, but also at this bank meeting when they come downstairs, Ted Stokes has come all the way down from Darwin. He's a Darwin player, right? Mm-hmm. And he's got his uh, he's got his pitch uh his, his pitch sheet for his kit manufacturing business and as he says to arthur i've worked it all out numbers figures and the like i'd be convinced just by that line oh man i've been in i've been in some like pitch meetings where it was just very clear that the person was not responding yeah uh my favorite one ever when my wife and i were living in kurdistan we had to sort of like strike barter arrangements with hotels where we would put an ad in their in our publication in exchange we would stay there for like that rate yeah and there was a guy who like said like let me think about it and then we could see through the glass entryway that he saw us coming back to like check and he literally ran out of the room <laughs> and that was only slightly more uh frustrating i'm sure than this experience of like just the three men looking at him and then like they hesitate to even take the proposal i, know, yeah. I thought that was uh that was a good moment as well like it might have coronavirus on it 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. I thought when Arthur Kinnaird put on gloves to take the note, I thought that was, again, pretty uh, pretty pressing. One thing worth noting, that bank they're at, I know this because I mm-hmm. looked it up, I can't remember the name of it because I didn't write it down, but that bank becomes Barclays Bank. Oh, okay. All right. One yeah. of the, A nice little nod there. One of the original sponsors of the Premier League in England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So it all checks out. It all checks it's, out with our future uh, FA president, uh, His Majesty's FA Cup. Again, thank you, Manny <laughs> Fashions. Uh, yeah. So uh, Arthur volunteers. Uh, I, I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed it because like you kind of don't know in the moment, like you're, you're pretty sure it's because he's trying to get away. He doesn't want to deal with the sort of situation at home, but maybe it's also he wants to do some scouting. He wants to see what's going on. <laughs> But it also marks Arthur out as someone who is more willing to go and, you know, mix with the common folk, right? And it makes me, mm-hmm. it makes me a lot more uh, kindly inclined to Arthur Kennard that he's the one that's going to be willing to go up and do that. Because you also think or you hope he's going to be the more open-minded among mm-hmm. these sort of uh, rich banker folk. Yes, yes. So he is, he is going north, but you know who's not going with him? Alma. That is correct. Yeah. He, he doesn't do a good job for me of telling Alma gently that he doesn't want her to come with yeah i i hope we do get a moment like either like even though i'm sure it's not so historically accurate i hope we do get a moment when he like breaks down and is actually kind of goes through the emotional wall if we just get him sort of in the end being like you're right i should have been a good man now we hug and shake hands like that that's not going to quite do it for me in terms of the emotional payoff i mean the the victorians just didn't talk things out right you know, no, it was a big not. deal for his dad to put his uh, hand on his son's shoulder last week. So yeah. we can't... I know, I'm still, I'm still waiting for that prequel episode <laughs> in which the dad learns to be softer. <laughs> we can't expect miracles. We can Mm-mm. expect Arthur to be well-dressed, though. Um, he may have been using some sort of Victorian equivalent of today's <laughs> sponsor. Today's Total Soccer Show is sponsored by theblacktux.com. I mean... First of all, phenomenal work by you, my friend. But second of all, you're, you're kind of not wrong because I feel like basically what the Black Tux offers today is the equivalent of having a bunch of servants who you say like, no, uh, that needs a new button. That one needs to be mended. Yeah. Tighten that up. Make that fit a little bit better. Now pack it all up for me and have it like delivered to the place that I'm going to arrive. A, the Black Tux basically does all that. It's a tailor and a valet all in mm-hmm. one and all online. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So theblacktux.com, you can go, you can rent or buy a suit or a tux and everything that goes with it. All the accoutrement, all accoutrement, mm-hmm. excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, the shirt, the tie, the bow tie, if you're really going fancy, even the shoes, the cufflinks, you can get it all at theblacktux.com. Uh, you pick it out, you choose your style, you mm-hmm. tell them your size, they send it to you, you try it on. If you're happy, that's what you're going with. If you're not happy because you uh, mismeasured your legs, uh, you can <laughs> you can send it back and there'll be enough time. They'll send it in enough time that you can get the correct size sent to you ready for your big event which may or may not be a trip to blackburn (laughs) i do appreciate that they have the kind of algorithm that helps you find your fit as opposed to you sort of having to be like uh i wear like this and i'm usually a large but sometimes i'm a medium like and then you've got to hope that it's right they've got a whole system in place to make it simple to make sure that it fits as well as it does but then if there is something wrong i'll go really has some good rhythms yes he does uh but then if it doesn't then as you said they will uh they will tighten it up for you and getting it looking exactly the way it needs to look so you look exactly the way you want to look they'll also give you 10 percent off if you're smart so if you go to the black tux Dot com and you use the code soccer you will get 10 percent off all right one more time that's the blacktux.com code soccer for 10 percent off with your purchase the black tux formal wear for the moment uh but if you use the promo code football which is what lord canard would want uh that might not work as well so make sure you use soccer <laughs> not football
All right, now the drama begins, right? Arthur mm-hmm. is on the way up north. He's going up north. Parker's terrified for him, but Arthur is on the way um, up north. Um, and we see basically everyone around Darwin essentially getting up and going to work, but thinking uh, we might have to strike because there's rumours of a wage cut coming, right? We see Martha printing the strike materials. But my favourite moment in all of this is um, mm-hmm. when Jimmy tries to lie uh, to to Fergus in the morning about why he didn't join him in the bedroom last night because they share a room, right? Um, oh, poor Jimmy. Do you remember this moment? I was so drunk, I had to sit in the chair all night. Yeah, and <laughs> Fergus absolutely does not buy it. Yeah, it's 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 not really the best, especially when like if you were that drunk, I feel like there'd be a hangover. You'd have a bit of a a hangover, a bit of a stink yeah. to you that he's just like all charming and peppy. Yeah, uh, it, it says that maybe he spent the night with someone else, and, not necessarily a chair by himself. And you and Doris are just sitting at the chairs grinning right now. We know yeah, Fergus yeah, exactly. knows he he can read a game of soccer. He can read your lies, Jimmy. He can read I'm your also- lies. Plus, your voice goes up at the end. Yeah, that too. And maybe his voice goes up at the end in other ways, because I'm going to assume there's not a lot of insulation in that house. And if there is some tomfoolery happening, I'm going to guess Fergus can hear what's going on. I hadn't even thought about that. Poor Fergus would be trying to get to sleep and he'd just have his fingers in his ears. He'd be trying to wrap the pillow around his head. Oh, no. We were we were stretching and playing tennis. <laughs> That's what was happening. Okay, so now yeah. every, everybody's off to work, and then there's the scene where Fergus essentially ditches the early part of the work, of work. He's going to be late for work, right? Yes. Um, and he starts to walk Martha um, along the path, which is o- over on the way to Blackburn. Mm-hmm. And again, you are One- you are not impressed with the distance between Blackburn and Darwin. No, I mean, they're taking the King's Road all the way north. It's going to take them a couple days to get to Blackburn, apparently. But uh, they're willing to make that journey on foot. Um, I wanted to pause, though, to say, like, but this is also where we see him interacting with Jimmy about the letter, right? The mysterious letter. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. When they're after he's just accused Jimmy, correctly accused Jimmy of lying. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yes. This is no, just the letter. And, a letter comes for Fergus. That's it, basically. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, but all we know about the letter, like, because the two things I went back and made sure of, one, I wanted to make sure the dog didn't just voluntarily go. Two, I wanted to make sure that I hadn't missed anything about what was in the letter. So all we know is that what's important oh, Taylor. is what's not in the letter. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's in, what's important is what's not in the letter. So we don't right. find this out till a later scene, but I'm happy to talk about it now. Um, okay. I'm going to guess it's stuff from family... And it's his sister who wrote it, right? His sister wrote it. I'm going to guess that things are not going well for Fergus and his family. And here's my... Mm-hmm. So again, I haven't seen anything uh, ahead, right? But there's obviously going to be some big uh, big moment where yeah. Fergus... Yeah, we're on the same page. Fergus has to... Uh, or decides to take the, the offer and play for Blackburn, right? For more money. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to guess that if it was just, yeah, Fergus wants more money and he's going to sort of screw over the Darwin people to do it, it's just not dramatically sustainable to have your, char- your main character do that and everybody still be happy with him. He's got to have some other motivation where he's having to do it to make money to send home to the family. Even though that's definitely what happened historically. Yes, I think you are absolutely correct. Because at first I thought like, oh, this is a secret family. Like this is a letter from his wife that we don't know about saying, why haven't you come home to our two children? Yeah. But then when he has that line, I think it's, it's after this one when he says to them, like, you don't know anything about me. It was like, oh, okay. So there's some like demons back home that he is uh, going to continue to flee from. Yeah, I think it sets that stage. I think there's one more thing that I think probably sets the stage a little bit for why he's okay with leaving Darwin in the end. But we'll get to that when we get to it. But I just wanted to make sure we talked 
a little bit about the letter and mostly make sure that I hadn't missed anything too obvious. No. Like, it's my sister. She says my wife is dead. <laughs> and then I would have been like, okay, so it's definitely about a secret family. Um, cool, cool, cool. Um, all right, so as we said, uh, Martha, <laughs> Fergus walks Martha halfway to work, which is kind of pointless, mm-hmm. but he does it anyway right? just to spend it's some serious. time with her. But then we have the big dramatic meeting at the Cotton Masters Guild. So mm-hmm. I, I think I finally understand what the Cotton Masters Guild is guild is is the important thing okay it's all the uh cotton mill owners mm-hmm. and they have a, a guild uh so that they can sort of make decisions together and you know uh gather together to mm-hmm. have a better purchasing power when they buy the sort of raw cotton right that's basically right. it and mm-hmm. it's all you know we stick together and we make decisions together um <laughs> and we just uh we let mr shaw vote again be the one lone vote but the rest of us vote for uh <laughs> for uh, lowering workers wages yeah, I think so. Uh, my wife helped me understand this last week, but I think it's basically a union is for like the workers within a factory, yeah. and then it's almost like then the guild is for the factory owners who who all come together. Yes. Essentially. So it's like independent owners of different companies all doing the same type of industry, all sort of come together to yeah, as you said, not necessarily fix prices, although that is kind of what seems to be happening, <laughs> but to sort of decide things across the board so that no one has an unfair advantage, quote unquote, slash capitalism is allowed to flow. And the long and short of it is that Colonel Jackson who's like mm-hmm. seems to be like the most powerful man on the guild he's certainly the fattest man on the guild he basically represents fat cat capitalism right mm-hmm. it's like if someone said draw me a, a late 1800s fat cat uh, they would draw colonel jackson um he aggressively I mean, proposes the mutton chops don't help they don't, the don't, chops they. don't help he aggressively proposes another 10 percent wage cut uh for the mill workers and over mr shaw's objections the uh it, it's agreed that that's what's going to happen right so this is what sets everything in motion I also think that maybe this scene sets something that's going to happen later on in motion because so um, when Fergus is walking, like they're walking to work, right? Uh, He's walking Martha to work. There's an implication that like it's not quite safe or that something could go wrong. And and you do get the impression that like something has happened to her. Now, I can't tell if this is just me, but then there's some looks with her and uh, what was the the gentleman's name? Who's uh, Cartwright? Yeah. Cartwright. Like there's some looks between her and Cartwright that I couldn't tell if that was meant to be that like he had come on to her in the past or if he had made like advances or something like that. Or if that was him recognizing that she was like one of the Darwin people who was maybe like related and could be organizing a strike. But the other thing that I thought was interesting was like she when she shows up to work, Betsy is the other maid and she tells Betsy, you're showing. Yeah. And I am wondering now if maybe Betsy and Cartwright had a little role in the hay as well. And maybe that's the thing that we're going to find out later on is that he, oh, interesting. he uh, has a way of uh, coming onto his surface. I hadn't thought about that. I thought the glance that Cartwright was throwing was like a sort of um, what's the word? Amorous is the wrong word, but a, a covetous glance he throws at Fergus Suter because that's who he wants. He wants Fergus on his football team. <laughs> I thought I thought that's what all that was about. And when um, when Martha's talking about protecting herself, I assume that just meant she can't afford to lose her job because she's got the baby to look after. Mm, okay, all right, that could be. We'll, that could we'll be. see. So maybe, we'll maybe we'll see. Uh, I just whether Mister Cartwright's a good man or not, right? Because uh, I'm sure he's going to yeah. be more and more involved in the future. Can, I, can you can the, you answer me this? Parent... When, when we meet Cartwright, yeah. he introduces himself to Fergus right at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Did you know who he was before then? I had... I knew I knew that he'd been involved. I didn't know his name. Did you know that he was the Blackburn chairman? No, I didn't that either. Was a, that was a re- that was a revelation. So I think that no. was supposed to be a sort of a reveal, right? I'm not sure if I've just been ignorant and missed it. He was just this like weird, shadowy cotton owner guy in the background that I hadn't quite, uh, I hadn't got him figured out. And then he, t- then when he introduced himself to Fergus, it clicked for me. 
it, it feels like maybe there was a line or a scene omitted uh, that's on the cutting room floor because in the first episode, he seems to be the only one who is even marginally sympathetic with Walsh when they're having the initial debate yes. about should they cut wages. And I'm assuming that was because like he also has a factory team, this time Blackburn, and that's why they maybe have a little bit of a connection, and that's why he was slightly sympathetic to what was going on with Darwin and Walsh. So maybe, it's maybe a, that was meant to be there, but we don't know that until now. It's kind of a fellow football fans thing, right? Because mm. I'm sure at this point, not everybody's a football fan. I don't imagine... Yeah that uh, Colonel Jackson is any type of football fan. So there's a slightly yeah, yeah. Uh, younger-ish generation seem to be football fans and the uh, older generation seem to not be. Uh, my final thing I just wanted to say about the whole pregnancy thing, though, is it feels a bit like Chekhov's gun, that you don't just throw out, like, you're pregnant, and then have her show up later on in the bar and not have that come back. So if it doesn't, then I'm going to be slightly confused as to why we needed to know that Betsy was pregnant. All right, Chekhov's belly. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> Then, okay, after mm-hmm. it's, you know, the strike happens over Walsh's objections, um, mm-hmm. and even though he's tried to negotiate something else, right, um, the strike goes down. There's a scene I really like, because I, I feel like in this show, there's too much just saying what's happening out loud. Yeah. Um, when uh, Tommy Marshall and uh, Smalley, we later found out the sort of, the most um, agitative of the workers mm-hmm. for the strike, his name is Smalley, his Martha's brother, they go up to ask... Yeah, he's Gavroche from uh, Les Miserables Grown Up, <laughs> They go up to basically see if the rumours that have obviously come from Martha, because she was at the meeting, the reports, that there's going to be a 10% cut are true. They go up and they just ask Walsh, is it true? And he doesn't even say yes or no, he just has... Mm-hmm a look on his face that says yes. Yep. And I, yeah. that's the stuff I love in any TV show like this. There's not enough of it in the English game, but I always, I like it when the, 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 the language doesn't have to be spoken out loud, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Subtlety is fine. And this was a good moment of subtlety. And it, and it is probably what would happen is like, you know, you're in a bad situation. You know what's about to happen. You don't really know what to say, but in not saying anything, you speak volumes yeah. and thus people respond. And then um, Tommy Marshall isn't worried about just uh, saying things with his eyes. He likes to yell out loud, strike! Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, he does. And I did appreciate that everybody was sort of hesitant. Like, like oh, are we doing this? Because I do feel like that's kind of how it would be is like half the factory would be like, yeah, we're all in on this. We've all planned it out and the other half who maybe didn't go to the planning sessions would have been like oh okay i guess we're walking out now <laughs> I was... and then the one guy who really really wanted to show that he was in on it throws the brick into the glass yeah he, he went too far too fast right <laughs> he really did have you ever oh we're not riding yet save the riding for later <laughs> got it cool cool, cool. tonight, my right, bad, my tonight. Um, have you ever been involved in any sort of <laughs> he didn't set his watch back. <laughs> it was daylight savings time and he thought it was riot time but it's one hour later got it <laughs> have you ever been involved in any sort of strike action no. So when I was, um, I did a year in um, a BMW factory between uh, undergrad and postgrad, um, mm-hmm. and they they had made an offer to the workers, and the union voted on whether to accept it or not. And I was part of the union, so I voted. Um, and I essentially asked my union guy for advice because it was my first time doing anything like this. So they voted no on the the original package. And then it became this big thing of do we strike or not? And it was this long conversation for about a week or so. But then there weren't enough votes to carry a strike. So they sort of just went back to the negotiating table. So at least at least in 2000 and something, it's not as dramatic as it's portrayed uh, in the English game. It's more of a, uh, you know, there's more of a vote rather than just one man yelling strike and getting everybody off the shop floor. 
<laughs> just one dude will do that. One rabble rouser, yeah. one no good Nick, uh, who almost certainly would have been arrested and thrown in prison in this era. I feel like <laughs> that's how they would have dealt with that. But what, what did I'm just curious, Daryl, for you, like you tend to be when other people are talking very loudly, you tend to be a listener and you kind of, I feel like, listen to what everyone's saying before you respond, which is a very positive quality. Did you do the same there where you just sort of like, I feel like maybe I'm not so important to this whole conversation, so I'm going to hang back and just hear what people have to say? Or were you sort of involved in the dialogue? No, very much the former, mostly because yeah. I knew I. I was there on a six-month contract. I knew I was leaving quite soon to, you know, uh, go and do something else. It wasn't fair for me to be, like, heavily involved, right? So I mean, What I'm hearing is scab. I'm hearing scab <laughs> right now from you. I did. Yeah, so what happened is everybody, everybody went on strike, and I went in and got double time to, uh, to, to break the strike. That is not true. That's not true at all. There was no strike. Oh, my God. There was no strike. Colonel Jackson packed you on the back, <laughs> my friend. Did. <laughs> You'll go far, young man, is what he said to me. <laughs> Dude, Colonel Jackson, I'll talk more about him later when we get to more Colonel Jackson later on in this episode. But for now, we've got the strike. We've got Walsh with another good line. You don't want to stand with me yes. when Fergus and Jimmy hesitate. We have to have them hesitate. We have to show that they're conflicted. They do hesitate. And then I do love that as soon as he says you don't have to say it, like Jimmy just takes he off. Does, right? like, he, he is not sticking around. Fergus was weirdly frozen, right? Because he was. He's definitely in it for the football. I think most of this episode, you could say that Fergus was weirdly frozen, and that would be an apt description for his scene. Well, I, I'm sort of, I liked his perspective of let's not have a strike because people are going to mm-hmm. get hurt, and it's probably not going to be to our advantage in the end. Mm-hmm. But I didn't like his let's not worry about all this working stuff. Let's just try yeah. and win a football match. So I was like, yeah, oh, and I, I was half with him in the let's not get anybody hurt way and i think mm-hmm. that you know that pulls you towards him um i was with him in terms of i want the game against brig to go ahead i was not with him in the uh i'll oh, forget all this like working stuff it's all about mm-hmm. football and again this is where like i wish uh, maybe, maybe i'm being too unfair but i do feel like like he is at, at its core he's a player who came down because there was money on offer to play football it would make sense that he wants to continue to play football so he can make money. And, he, and I feel like if they threw out the troubled family life who need his money, that then explains why he is so like, hell-bent on playing football aside from, I want to win the FA Cup because the FA Cup is important to me. Yeah. So I feel like, like that would have been nice to see because I did find myself thinking, like, but at the end of the day, like, you're a person who's being paid to play soccer. You're going to want to be paid to play soccer. That would inform why yep. you have this reaction at least a little bit. All right, so after this, we get a scene where um, it's Alma who's been left mm-hmm. behind um, with Kinnaird's mother. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a big scene worth talking about, but there is just one line in here that's very um, like Dame Maggie Smith from Downton mm-hmm. Abbey. It's the only line that's like worthy of that type of uh, <laughs> quality. And it's and it's when Alma suggests that maybe Kinnaird is more like his mother than his father. And the mother's response is, our sons spend the first half of their lives trying to be like their fathers and the second half trying to avoid it. Accurate. Accurate, <laughs> right? Accurate yeah. Thing, I feel like, it's yeah. excellent. I, feel like that's, I think that, that'll <laughs> ring true with a lot, a lot of people. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people have said, like, if I'm ever like my father... Like, do something drastic. Yep. I've definitely have said that one on more than one occasion. She also has the line, like, uh, then run faster. Yeah. Which I didn't... W- what did you take that to mean? Oh, it means if he's running away, then run faster and catch him up. But okay. Both li- right. literally um, and figuratively. Okay, thank you. All right, I just wanted to make sure. Because, again, that was one where I was like, does she mean it this way or this way or this way? That was the way my wife took it. She helped me make sense of it because she's much smarter than I. So it seems you are as well. There we go. So we, now we know two people smarter than you. Luckily, you're in contact with them a lot of the time. I think what I didn't know is, was she saying, like, then you need to run faster? Or if she was saying, then you need to run faster than him, basically. If she was like, try to keep up, or if she was saying, like, be ahead of him. Oh. That's, that was where I was a little confused. Maybe, I, I don't think it's that specific, right? It's just run faster. 
You've met me before, right? I sure have. I sure <laughs> have. I've also been in the following situation with you. We show up for practice and there's not mm. enough people there. A practice we've that we've organized. <laughs> we both know the pain of organizing a practice and people not showing up. This is what happens to Fergus and Jimmy the day before the cup match. Turns out all the players are at the pub. We've had that happen as well. <laughs> <laughs> or at least a couple of them. Yes. Yeah, so they uh, they go to figure out where everybody is. They go to the pub. They are correct in assuming that that is where everyone is. Uh, they refuse to play. They will not practice, Daryl. There will be no practicing. Uh, I have well, questions the about the timeline. Right? I'll bring those up later on. Essentially, but yeah, there's they, no, this... no practice, no games mm-hmm. while the strike um, is happening. I think a really mm-hmm. important line is um, Marshall, to- uh, Tommy Marshall. Yeah, Tommy Marshall saying, how will it look to the rest of this lot if I run out wearing Walsh's colors? Um, and then uh, Fergus responds, they're Darwin's colours, and Tommy says, same difference. Which I feel like is an argument you can still have today, right? Like, yeah. are, mm-hmm. you, are you representing the Glazers, or are you representing Manchester? Yeah, I mean, Qatar, uh, UAE, yeah, yeah. All, all of that, all of that is a, a, a definitely Just, a smart statement. I, again, I thought it was strange, though, Daryl, when he was then like, plus we're all supposed to, supposed to be social distancing, and Fergus made the argument that the FA Cup was more important than social distancing. That seems strange to me, too. <laughs> With, <laughs> that's very funny, Dada. Well done. Um, <laughs> but I'm trying to make a serious point Thanks, that um, <laughs> yes. this thing that was like a true... Um, a really good question in the late 1800s about does this represent Walsh because he's the money behind the team or does it represent the town? Um, it felt dramatically true in the moment and is a good question to ask, but it's also true like a hundred and something years later, right? When we think about football teams, you still argue about whether um, the Wolf shirt now represents the city of Wolverhampton or it represents a Chinese investment group yeah, and a Portuguese oh man, agent. Daryl's going deep, man. Daryl's going deep. <laughs> And I, and I like it. Uh, and I am not even going to weigh in on that one because I feel conflicted as an American from Richmond, Virginia, who loves Manchester United. <laughs> um, it's, all, it's all about Manchester. It's about representing Manchester to me. That's what I care the most about, a city that I've never been to before. Well, I'll leave you, we'll get you there. We'll get you there. Um, <laughs> I'll leave you with this line. Um, as mm-hmm. Fergus and Jimmy are walking away after the players have basically said, we're not playing. We like sitting at this mm-hmm. very specific table at the pub. This is our table. We reserve it. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's the friends table right? they just somehow yeah, always right. have it <laughs> Tommy yells after him it's only football which I feel like is the the harshest thing you could say to Fergus Suter I, I feel like that actor made a choice as well because he says it in a very meek way he says it as like it's only football like he doesn't like, really it's believe like it's, it yeah, it's definitely meant to convey that he doesn't really believe it. I felt like it, at least. Yeah. I enjoyed that one. The only time mm-hmm. I've heard that phrase before is um, Euro 96 semi-final. England have lost to penalties, uh, lost mm-hmm. to Germany on penalties. It's me and my friends Paul, As you do. Paul and Steve, who you met. They visited mm-hmm. uh, recently in September. And the three of us had watched it. After England had lost on penalties, we were all sitting there absolutely distraught. We're only 16, right? So our emotions are roiling at this, this horrible, horrible defeat. Um, my mum comes in, looks at us all, and she goes... It's only football and walks out. <laughs> I love your mom. <laughs> I struggled in that moment. <laughs> uh, well, if listeners struggle with a different issue, then we could talk about today's sponsor. It's Hims, a new wellness brand for men. Uh, 4hims.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. What's a common issue men face but don't always want to talk about? It's not the trials and tribulations of football. They will talk about that endlessly. It's about uh, being able to get and maintain an erection. Can you imagine Arthur Kinnair trying to talk about this? Yeah. No. I think he would struggle. I cannot. 
<laughs> I mean, they, they could go that route with them uh, struggling to have kids, just saying. Uh, but I feel like they will not. But if he did struggle with it, he could discreetly use the services provided by him. So he doesn't have to go to a doctor. He doesn't have to talk to anybody about it. Instead, they will connect you with online doctors, yeah. real licensed doctors, and FDA-approved pharmaceutical products. I don't think the FDA would have approved these things in 1879 because it did not exist, I don't believe. Nope. But Modern uh, they approve them today, and they offer well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions to help you combat ED. So all you do is you answer questions about your medical history, then you yep. chat with a comf- uh, doctor for a confidential review. Once it's approved, um, then the uh, the drugs are on the way, and it's erectile without the dysfunction. I'm just going to throw this out there. The diet in the like late 1800s combined with the like smoking and like alcohol consumption, I'm going to guess that maybe uh, Arthur Kennard didn't end up being in the best of health. He did have six kids or eight kids in the end, but maybe he could have used this product. And if he so chose, then he could have tried it uh, by starting out with a free online visit by going to forhims.com slash totalsoccered. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash totalsoccered. Forhims.com slash totalsoccered. The prescription products are subject to doctor approval and require an online consultation with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. See the website for full details and safety information. This could cost hundreds if you went in person to the doctor's office or pharmacy. Remember, that's 4hims.com slash ed. There we are. I don't think people will forget that URL. I hope they don't. But if they do, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, Daryl, where shall we head next within the context of episode two? Where did the show head next, Tyler? That's the, uh, mm-hmm. that's the important question. Uh, so we've already talked about how it's only football. We have uh, now we have, I believe, Alma arriving in Black. Yes. Um, after Alma arrives, Arthur communicates mm-hmm. that he's not really that pleased that Alma is there by saying, "I'm pleased to see you." Way too many times. <laughs> yeah, it's. Is that, am I reading that right? That's the vibe I got. He was like, uh, "We did not agree to this. This wasn't I, planned." See- I, 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 yes, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I think it's supposed to be that he is so buttoned up and maybe still so affected by the miscarriage that he like doesn't know how to be emotional and especially doesn't know how to be emotional in front of other people. And I, I have been in that situation. Like I am not very big on PDA and the idea of like if my wife showed up and I hadn't seen her and I like genuinely was excited to see her, but I had people like staring at us like, ah, it's your wife. Ah, uh, she's here now. You want to say hi? I'd be like, okay. It's good to see you. Like, please go away, strange people. So I did take like maybe a little bit of the like social awkwardness, but then also I think him just being sort of uh, within a glass case of emotion certainly didn't help either. <laughs> he sure is. He's also trying to solve this problem, right? He's trying to solve this problem um, in Blackburn. He's getting to the bottom of it. He's Darryl. trying. He's going to get to the bottom. He's of it. trying. Yeah. All right. Up next is the scene with Fergus and Jimmy in their shared bedroom, where uh, mm-hmm. uh, Fergus says. It's n- Although it's not always shared, am I right? Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. He's basically mm-hmm. moved out, right? Jimmy has moved yeah. out um, across the hall, I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> and I think the subtext from Fergus is, can you please keep it down? It's not really, <laughs> but it should be. Uh, this is the important moment when Fergus says it's, n- it's what's not in the letter that, ah, that uh, mm-hmm. is troubling him. What what do we think that means? Because I know I know like I could just go ahead and watch the rest of the rest of the show, but I'm assuming it's family connected. Like, I, but usually that would mean like there was supposed to be money or something like that. And so like that's where I took it at first is like oh he like maybe they send him money from his savings or something like I that. I feel like he's sending them he have that more than anything. Yeah, that makes more sense, right? So I don't know what that would be aside from like news he was expecting, but I don't know what that would have. I been. mean, maybe the sister doesn't write that mom and dad are doing well. Uh, right? That would make sense. I mean, honestly, so here's the question I have with, with this. Um, is Jimmy just too, either too dumb or too polite to ask, what's not in the letter, Fergus, please tell me? Or mm-hmm. is are Jimmy and Fergus so tight that he knows what that means? Well, I, I don't know. I hope it's that, the latter that, that's a for good the sake question. of the show. 
What's that? I hope it's the latter for the sake of the show. But see, don't you still think it would have been like, oh, your mom's not well or something like it would? Because he says like, wherever he goes, I go. He says that in the first episode. So you do have that closeness. I would have expected there to be something that indicates that he knows that there's trouble at home instead. But maybe he's just that like love struck. And he is also, you know, he's a little he's a little Jimmy. So you never know if he's actually like really, really all focused on what's going on with Fergus. You say Jimmy, you mean Lenny. I do. (laughs) Still haven't seen him with that rabbit. That's all I'm saying. All right. So in the next scene, Fergus asks Mm -hmm. Walsh the question I was wondering why don't you just break with the Cotton Guild and, you know, do do your own thing? Don't go with the 10% mm-hmm. uh, uh, wage decrease that they're going with. Uh, maybe just go 5% or maybe maybe no wage decrease at all. You could solve this thing if you just uh, went your own way. And I really felt for Walsh's explanation here, which is that if he's with the Guild, he has the buying power. Um, and if he does go up against them and he goes under, it's not as if the mill will still be there, right? If Walsh goes under, the mill goes under... And the mill is the only work in Darwin. You can basically work behind the bar at that pub um, or you can work at the mill uh, and that's it. And I thought I thought the juxtaposition of this scene with the Cotton Guild meeting that happens next, I thought that was really, really smart because in that moment I was like, yeah, Fergus, you dummy. Like he's he's trying to figure out how to keep the whole factory alive because yeah. that keeps the whole town alive. So you can't just like have things change. And I thought that then the worker saying like, actually, if we made less, we would make more or like there would be more money because yeah, we wouldn't the, oversaturate the market. Yeah, exactly. That made a lot of sense and was a very good argument. And I thought those two things worked really, really well together. Yeah, so the, it's at that Cotton Guild meeting that they make they make that point the interesting thing is they get to make that point because Kinnaird asks what would be the benefit of a shorter week because the workers Mm -hmm. say we could take less money and and work um, a shorter week but it's the old enemy uh, Colonel Jackson who basically interrupts that thought process that maybe some sort of uh, some sort of understanding was beginning to emerge and Jackson Mm -hmm. torpedoes it basically yeah, it's almost as though like super rich uh, people who run industries are more concerned with their own uh, income. Yeah. It's a strange concept. I'm not sure if that uh, resonates today. All, what was really interesting to me there was uh, Jackson's distrust of working people. Right, that if we mm-hmm. if we agree to this, what's to stop you coming back next week and asking to work even fewer hours or to work even fewer days? Like he really thinks that working people are are just out to uh, to work as little as possible and be lazy. Um, the it, the only the only character that is more like overtly a, a mean person, a jerk. I'm trying not to curse, but like, uh, have you ever seen Scrooge before with Bill Murray? Many times. Do you remember the scene in which they can't figure out how to make the antlers, like fake little antlers, fit on a mouse's head, and he suggests they staple them? Yes. <laughs> like, that's that's that, that, I kept waiting for Jackson to be like, "Well, feed yourselves metal or something." <laughs> like, it would have just been the most like, "Come on, let's put him over the top. Let's find a way to make him even more unforgivable." Maybe he had some family that moved over to the U.S. Um, the next century and got into television. <laughs> that could be. That could and just be. to underline the evilness of Jackson, um, mm-hmm. the workers basically say, okay, we're, we're going with the strike. Um, there's no agreement. And it ends with Jackson uh, rolling away in his carriage and saying, their stomachs will be empty long before our pockets. Mm-hmm. He's probably mm-hmm. not so wrong. We- He's probably not wrong. We have an ominous moment there, but it's okay because it's broken up by Lenny proposing marriage. Yeah, Lenny. <laughs> so he doesn't do a good job of it, right? He tries to cook dinner. He burns it. He goes down mm-hmm. in one knee. He's left the ring over on the other table. He asks Doris to pass him the ring. <laughs> really? Tele- I hope he doesn't telegraph his passes Hand me like that he telegraphs box. his proposals. <laughs> Hand me that little box, I think he yeah. says. <laughs> I really hope he's got more disguise in his, in his game than uh, he does in his game. You know what I'm saying? I'm- <laughs> I, I do. I'm also just going to throw this out there for a moment. Again, Jimmy, we learned last episode, man, don't throw the money around. It shows that you're being paid. Yeah. He did it at the bar. 
maybe don't go buy an expensive engagement ring at a time when the entire factory is about to shut down oh. and no one has money. And the okay, outside the mob is building, right? There's a really uh, yeah, you, you can hear mm. it outside the windows. I quite like this about this episode that you really do get a sense that okay, the people are gathering, the mob is building. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, Arthur Kinnard arrives in Darwin, which is terrible timing, right? He's he's gone across that mile from Blackburn to Darwin to see what was going on at the mill. Um, and he happens upon um, the big speech that the character known as Smalley is given. Took me a long time mm-hmm. to track down this guy's name. This is the guy with the scraggly facial hair who's like the, uh, the most agitative about the, the strike. His name is Smalley, it turns out. <laughs> it is. And Smalley fires up that crowd and then spots Fergus. And I expected him to be like, he's not with us, but everyone else is. And instead... He's mistaken. He thinks Fergus is with them. Maybe Walsh's advice was good. Go with them, not with me. You don't want to stand with me right now. So everybody thinks Fergus is going to lead them. He's going to be the one to rally them and make them believe in the common goal. And he shuts that down pretty hard. I think Smalley's either testing Fergus or seeing if Mm -hmm. he can use him as the ultimate propaganda piece. Right? Because if you can get um, the great Fergus Suter on side, everybody loves him, um, it would add extra, extra, um, extra fuel to the fire that Smalley yeah. wants to set. Um, but I also think maybe he doubts Fergus, and this is sort of, this is like his test, right? It's like his gang initiation test. You have to do this to prove you're one of us. <laughs> speech in, speech out. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like he cared so much about the, uh, the witch giving the scores in the first episode. <laughs> uh, see our first review episode if you want that to make sense. Uh, but, but I think maybe it really is that he cares so much about the team and therefore so much about Fergus Suter that he sees this person that he really respects and expects him to kind of come up and lead them the way he led that team. And Fergus does lead them of sorts in that he says basically like this is a bad idea. Yeah. Violence doesn't get you anywhere, it, which is a good thing. You're going to get killed, right? Violence begets violence, kind of thing. It's what Daryl says every time I go to yell at a referee. <laughs> He's not going to change his mind. <laughs> and the important thing here is that Arthur Kennard, who is sort of in the crowd briefly before mm-hmm. they threaten him, um, he is there to see Fergus um, give that speech where he basically says, "Please don't strike." And I feel like it's a good yeah. moment of. Arthur and Fergus sort of being, uh, what's the word, simpatico, you know what I mean? You get yeah. them on the same page and you can see that they're, they're not, we're not so different, you and I, kind of moment. And, and, and simultaneously, this is where I started to really not enjoy this episode Oh, really? Anymore. Yeah, because this is the moment, it's, it's like the scene, you know, the scene whenever humans are hunted. But like, it's, the, it's the moment of like, I'll give you three days and then I'm coming after you. Like, if the mob's going to go after him, why don't they go after him while he's in the middle of the mob? Why do they let him get a little distance away and then they're like, now's the time to chase yeah. him? That, that felt like a strange moment of convenience so that he could then randomly happen upon uh, Ted Stokes in a dark alley. <laughs> well, there is, do you know what? There is research. This is um, in my psychology class in college. Mm-hmm. They taught us about this that people really like the the thrill of the chase and the element of danger rather than the actual violence. And specifically, yes. uh, the example they used was football hooligans. That quite often, if you study like the pace that football hooligans run away and the other group chases them, it's almost like deliberately not to catch them. It's to have the, the mm-hmm. thrill of the chase kind of thing. So I think it is that thing of maybe no one really wants to hurt Arthur, but they want to threaten him. Yeah, I mean, perhaps, but then you can't have the whole narrative of he can't go outside because they're going to string him up, uh, so then the dog has to go do the work. The dog has to go. (laughs) Instead of Lord, you send a lady, right? Of course. Yeah. (laughs) That's how it works. Well done, sir. Well done. Bravo. Yeah, so what happens is uh, Stokes, it's Ted Stokes, right? The the Mm -hmm. Darwin player who had been down and, you know, pitched the uh, let let me make jerseys. Give me some money to make jerseys. Um, I've got the figures all worked out. Um, He sees Arthur hiding in an alleyway, fearing for his life, and beckons him in to his his nice little working class house, right? 
<laughs> I'll yeah. protect you in here. But but then um, then they find out what's gonna that the mob is off to essentially kill Jackson. Right, the plan seems to be we're gonna mm-hmm. murder Jackson. Um, and so here's how I understand it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Taylor. Kinnaird is like, I'm gonna go and warn him, um, and instead mm-hmm. Stokes is like, No, they'll kill you. I'm gonna go instead. Yes. Did you? Did we previously know that Mutton Shops McGee was named Colonel Jackson? Because that was the moment when I was like, wait, is Jackson the, the mill owner or is Jackson somebody else? And then when they cut to him saying, uh, we've cut the wages and now everything will be fine, that's when I knew it was Jackson. Did you know that prior to that moment? Yes, I did know that. I, okay. I don't know right, so why. Maybe, maybe that was just me taking notes and not paying attention <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Um, so Jackson's at home. Um, mm-hmm. Stokes breaks in, which is actually quite impressive, right? Because I imagine Jackson has some, you know, some I mean, guards. Given, given the leisurely stroll he undertook after the mob had left his home, because they come in to say, are you coming with us? And that's how he finds out that they're going there. Then he kind of takes the dog. They appear to be on a leisurely stroll as they walk up to the house. Then he bursts in. Still not entirely sure how he made it there ahead of the mob. Uh, to go with the Emperor's new groove, by all accounts, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so was the dog like, um, the dog was his alibi, sort of. Is the dog supposed to be, no, I was like walking my dog. Oh. I mean, do you, did you walk dogs in the in nineteenth yeah, century? Yeah, absolutely. That feels okay. Yeah. All right. I I mean, m- maybe maybe it was. Maybe that's what they were going for. Again, just throwing that out there yeah. would have been a good idea. So he mm-hmm. um, he breaks in and he warns Jack. He, he warns Jackson. Jackson does get out. I would say because Stokes isn't very elegant with his language, I do mm-hmm. sort of understand Jackson's reaction. Yeah, yeah, I I, I do as well. I mean, he, he bursts yeah, in and the, says, "You need to get out." Right? He's not saying, "Hey, mm-hmm. I'm sorry for bursting in, but I need to warn you." He's really straight, yeah. straight to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, I think, important moment of this before Stokes breaks in is Jackson saying, now that we've cut their wages, uh, Kennard will give us the loan. Like He's an honorable man. Yeah. So basically, it reveals that they're only cutting all the wages to try to get a big loan, which probably wouldn't have been that successful. But uh, it, it, I guess it shows that he's slightly misguided in that if he had just asked Kennard why he was there and what he was doing, maybe that would have gone away towards kind of finding commonality. Yeah, that's more of the Victorian men not, not being able to uh, get mm-hmm. to the point, right? Mm-hmm. So ironically, Stokes can get to the point, and he needed to finesse it a little more. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Little so bit. Jackson does get out, right? He gets out just as mm-hmm. they uh, they set his house on Somehow. fire. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming there's a back entrance um, or, or something. Also, yeah, I guess yes. They, but they seem to be in the carriage, all set up and ready to go when the mob shows up. So there's there's some time lapse running. Maybe he's just way faster than we thought. <laughs> we. <laughs> If if only he was a younger man, he would have been an excellent winger in this this mm. new game of the football <laughs> that that everyone's playing. Um, so then uh, Stokes gets out. I think he goes to like pick up the dog so he can like walk the dog home and look like he's not part mm-hmm. of the riot, which he's not. And then there's the police who sort of aggressively yeah. question him, hiding hiding in the dark field. Yeah, and they shoot the dog. There was absolutely yeah. no. One, there was no need to shoot the dog, which you're meant to feel as like an injustice, right, visited upon Stokes. Mm -hmm. But I felt like dramatically there was no reason for the police to shoot the dog apart from the dog barking. When There's a mob yelling, so I don't think a dog barking should be problem number one here. And and again, all you needed was the two officers stop him, but ten officers go running by to deal with the mob. Or a bunch of the mob breaks up and everybody's fleeing, and those officers just happen to get Stokes, and then the dog comes and saves him. But just that moment of like, wait, why are there two do- two officers in a random field away from the mob, critically, because we know that Stokes had to like sneak in the back way so the mob didn't see him and he got ahead of them. So why are they in a different location, and then they shoot the dog? That was where it felt like, oh, okay, I see what's going to happen here. He 
he's getting arrested. Canard's going to save him. Got it. Narrative established. So yeah, this is probably the clumsiest part of the episode, right? Because it just doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't feel. It doesn't feel earned in a lot of ways, and it feels like unnecessarily cruel to shoot the dog. And they're shooting the dog mm-hmm. to make us feel extra, like um, extra angered on behalf of of Stokes. I mean, it it yes. kind of works, but I feel like I've been manipulated, and I never like. I, like, I never like having that feeling. Yes, nor do I. And especially interesting when they're like, oh, the poor dog has been shot. And then the next scene is Kinnaird watching past, like, walking past butchered pigs, one of which is just, like, half laying on the ground. And it's like, oh, so that's fine. Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) Like, I eat meat, don't get me wrong. But it is just a weird, like... Like, oh, that poor dog, but that animal that has been proven to be as smart as a dog, that's fine. What if one of those things hanging up was Lady? It may may well have been, my friend. It may well have been. That would have been an interesting turn for that show to take. I I instantly regret saying that. I can't get that image out of my head now. (laughs) I'm sorry to all our listeners. I'm very, very sorry. Apologize to your dog when we're done recording. I will. I'll go and apologize to Austin. (laughs) Um, So there's a brief scene with um, Arthur. I'm lucky my dogs. My dogs are usually in the room with me when I record. They are not right now. So you're lucky. They're probably on the way to get me. There's Arthur and Mrs. Stokes have a quick Mm -hmm. chat where she reminds him that you turned him down for that loan. Um, and then I think... Wait, I, I'm actually really happy you said that because I, I did we know he turned him down? Aside from the father saying, like, like let him down gently or whatever. Be, like, don't be rude when you say no. But we didn't actually see him say no. So for a moment, I thought it was still under consideration. So do you think he did say no? That's what we're supposed to get? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And I think his, okay. even his will be in touch when he receives the initial offer is not very encouraging. That... Is definitely yeah. true. <laughs> I think it happened. That was the we'll see yeah. from your parents. I think it yeah. happened. We'll see. Yeah, I think it happens off screen. I think that's exactly okay. what happens. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then we see um, uh, we see that Kinnaird is off looking for Stokes. Can't find him. Eventually finds Walsh. They have a bit of a, a bit of a confrontation until Kinnaird makes it clear that he's looking for Stokes. He wants to save him. And then we find ourselves in the most unfair court in the world. I mean, to be fair, it felt like what a 19th century English court would have been. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's probably true. Where we just believe the rich guy, um, whatever. Are you, uh, sir? Are you a member of the landed aristocracy? Oh, you're not 15 years for you automatically (laughs) just for not being a member of the landed aristocracy. He was charged with felonious riot, which first of all is a great band name, uh, drunkenness, and attempted murder, and the sentence was up to 15 years in prison um and also uh, jackson accuses him of being one of the ringleaders of the mob things were really against stokes he even complains about the police shooting his dog and he just gets told to shut up uh first of all uh felonious right is actually a felonious monk uh cover band <laughs> uh so you should know that one up front yeah and, and and then the judge sort of throwing the book at him until arthur canard steps in and catches said book and then slams it on the ground yeah. was was interesting. I did expect him to be like, oh, Lord Kinnaird, of course. I, and, and I don't know if I enjoyed or didn't enjoy, I'm genuinely conflicted, on him having to say, Mr. Walsh, do you know this man? That did feel like more accurate for what it would have been because there's lots of lords and lots of lords yes, to be. So and I did. maybe asking the local industrialist would have been the way and to And actually, go. I do like, in hindsight, we talked about how like if you're a rich man, you can just walk into, <laughs> into court and be heard, right? But mm-hmm. the fact that even Lord or future Lord Kinnaird's um, mm-hmm. being able to speak depended on you know getting the nod to the, ma- the magistrate getting the nod from Mr. Walsh because he's a locally mm-hmm. respected man. Um, it, I don't know. It, ma- it made me feel good at least that this uh, that Mr. Walsh had had some power. 
I, I did enjoy, though, the essentially openly bribing in court yes, to get right? uh, Colonel Jackson to drop the charges. Yes. So That's what ends up doing it. So the, the two things that happen here are that Kinnaird says that you, you seem to have confused my business partner here with one mm-hmm. of the rioters. Um, and I can understand that you might have done that in the, the confusion of the chaos of that dreadful night. Uh, but then he also says that I trust your judgment and that's why I've extended the loan to you and the Guild. Um, I I expect you will now like to withdraw your accusation and thank Mr. Stokes. It is it is really well handled from Kinnaird, but it also shows the shows the power of money. Um, I, I have I have a a slightly negative comment to make about yeah. that, but uh, I I don't want to distract us from the scene itself. So do, should we finish the scene and then I'll ask you my question? No, ask me, ask you a question now. Ask away. So. You you correctly quoted that an important thing he said like the chaos of that night that dreadful night and and at the end of this episode I am so confused as to the timeline because it seems as though when he goes and uh, and like the assumption would be that in the morning after the riot he goes and finds the uh, the wife the wife says no he was he hasn't come home yet so then he goes to Walsh gets Walsh and then they like go to the jail but the idea that he goes to a court where he's already being like basically told he's going to stand trial. And then he says that night, not last night, not the night before, but that night. Are we supposed to believe that this is like a week later or thereabouts? No, it's the next day. It's definitely the next day. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. Because that seems like a lot to happen in in uh, like a 24-hour period. I mean, so this isn't the actual trial, right? This is just the mm-hmm. magistrate saying, I'm going to send you to trial. So I think this is like right. a quick um, quick turnaround kind of thing the night after. I'm assuming he was then like... why not say last night? Why not say last I night? I don't know. To, to really show us the timeline. Because, I, just, you know I why? felt like that was a weirdly I'm, intentional line that didn't quite make sense Because you can't say, you can't use the word dreadful about last night. I think that's why. It, it just works better as language to be in the chaos of that dreadful night. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Because, yeah, then you'd have to say, like, last night, which was dreadful, yeah. and suddenly you're, you're adding commas and there stuff, and it's all confusing. All yeah. right, okay. All right. You, you all sold right. on this? Not really, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, again, dramatic license, right? To get the to be able to yeah. get the drama of that line, mm-hmm. you have to, like, refer to last night as if it was not last night, it, like, so the language doesn't quite track. But the, the emotion mm-hmm. tracks, right? And that's what's important. Um, yes. And the, the big thing that really hit for me is we talked about the, uh, the proposal that Stokes had sent to the bank. When he refers mm-hmm. to him as his business partner, um, that genuinely was a little surprise to me that I really enjoyed. That put a big grin on my face. Yeah, I mean, th- yeah, that that was really nice. That like, because that does feel like the only way he would have gotten him off. By the way, if you can't hear that, my dogs have uh, alerted us to the presence of someone near our home. So I'm glad they're not in the they're room. They're just right doing now. their job, right? They are indeed. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe if Lady had done a better job. Um, but anyway, um, yes. So there's that moment, and then there's the moment of, and also like, Mr. Jackson is so upstanding that uh, I will give him the loan, or that's why I've agreed to give him the yeah. loan. Yeah, there's those the one-two punch of like, oh, Arthur Kinnaird is a good man, and I think that's why they want to make it clear with Alma being in the room to see him be this upstanding gentleman that he was not previously in the first episode. There we go. I think that's important too. Yeah. And then the final scene. Finally, we get back to the FA Cup. It's Darwin versus Brig in the first round. But once again, there's only two players. <laughs> so Ferguson Jimmy can't get this match started until Mr. Walsh goes to the pub. And again, he knows where to find them. They're at the friends table. Um, <laughs> Gunther's just delivered some beers. Um, and yep. he basically offers them just a 5% cut. Uh, you still have to work five days a week, 5% cut. Um, so he's gone against the guild. And then he has that great line, the deal's off if you don't get to that match in time. And they, and they all sort of, half drunk, I assume, scramble to make the game. I think the five-day-a-week thing was a concession. Because I think he says, like, like, five days a week only, and they all sort of react with surprise. So I think he concedes that and concedes to only a 5% cut. How many days a week do you think they're working to begin with? 
probably six. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, I'd like to do that isn't, isn't that where football comes from, right? Isn't like Sunday Sunday League because you have like that's the day you have off to go do what you want to do? I don't know. I, I think thought five, Funoka's I think football was on Saturdays work. originally. Uh, that could be. But I, I think the five-day work week comes, comes around this time period. Maybe a little bit later, but I think this is around when that first gets established. I could be wrong. I very well could be. I, and I have been previously, including on this episode. So I think there's already a five-day work week and weekends off. I think the, the negotiation is like, okay, I'll only do a 5% cut, but I can't do the like uh, one day less per week that you've been asking for. We won't know this until we go and research how many days a week people were working. Wait, what, to begin so with. then they're asking for a four-day week? Yeah, I think so, yeah. with Because you're cutting our way. I'm, I'm sticking with I think he gives them five days. I think he is. we're seeing him be the first person to recognize that people deserve a week. Oh, that'd be That's interesting. That's how I'm choosing to that see it, it makes Walsh that more sympathetic. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's a visionary, my friend. He's a visionary. Well, he's about to get screwed over because he as sure we is. see in the preamble <laughs> to the Darwin versus Brig match, Cartwright, mm-hmm. the Blackburn owner, before kickoff, before kickoff, right before kickoff, um, ambles over to Fergus and basically says, you're a magnificent footballer. I'll pay you £100 and I'll double whatever Walsh is paying you. And Fergus kind of puts up a fight, right? He says, oh, I'm loyal, this and that. But you can tell mm-hmm. he's thinking about it right before kickoff. Yeah, I mean, that everybody shows up to play the game right as kickoff is about to happen. And you have Jimmy Love in the background say uh, they, they've been in the pub all night. It'll be a miracle to get out of yeah. this or to get through this. I felt like that was maybe a good also representation of what's going on in Fergus's brain in the moment. And that's where I also thought that this episode did do a good job of, number one, the letter probably is going to play a role in why he ends up switching clubs. But I thought as well that they did sort of make that mob look pretty vicious. Like, it escalated very quickly, even when told, like, hey, violence isn't a good idea. And uh, to her credit, Martha listens. Martha walks away from the mob. Yeah. But a lot of the mob does not. They Do they burn the house down or do they just burn the effigy and sort of get really mad? The house is on fire. I know that. Okay, yeah. so I mean, I think that was also probably meant to make Darwin, the players in Darwin, and the people involved look very unsympathetic because you know you may, you may be really frustrated by the situation. Maybe maybe some people need their yeah, houses burned so, down, but so, but I think so. Fergus is we thinking, were probably seeing him look vicious. Fergus is thinking, yeah. "Hey, Tommy Marshall, I want you burning down wings, not burning down houses." Exactly, yeah. and so I think maybe that it shows us that like why like why should he have connection to this this club like where the people don't really like the teammates don't really want him around so it really falls just to Walsh and I have a feeling we're going to get a scene where Walsh is like you have to do what you have to do so that somebody can beat the aristocracy and then that's why he goes I mean I do know that the history of this is that um he has a, is that Fergus has a really tough time in Darwin after he moves to Blackburn I think part mm. of that might be that Walsh is absolutely heartbroken because the final mm. the final words I think in this scene are oh yeah you're right Fergus being sort of like oh you went against the guild that's how you got the players here that's how you've solved this is by going against the guild going against Parker and you've gone with just the five percent cut uh, and maybe an, an extra day off a week and uh, uh, Walsh says I think it feels good to be my own man you better make it worth my while but he says it not in a threatening yep. way but almost in a very paternal friendly way of like me and you we're yeah. in this together right and we're, we're nah, going you, all in you're totally right you're totally right because he says it in a way that like is meant to be heartbreaking to fergus there because he yes. is maybe considering the offer and the idea of like hey buddy i got you a present is like <laughs> is such a like oh man and you're doing nice things for me like this isn't gonna go well yep it's a classic thing of giving fergus exactly what he wants right like he want mm-hmm. he wanted walsh to do that and he also wants to be as ambitious as possible in his football career and by like giving him the two things that he wants now it's put him in this horrible uh situation where he's gonna have to eventually either turn down the blackburn offer 
or betray um, betray Walsh essentially by by leaving mm-hmm. his football team. And again, spoiler alert for a transfer that happened in 1880, he does move to Blackburn. <laughs> He does. He does indeed. And I will say, like, I began this episode by saying, like, I didn't enjoy it as much as the first one. I still had moments I really liked. And I will say that it worked really well. That in the end, I was I was like, oh, man, like, I'm not going to get to see the game. Like, I want to see them at least play. I feel like we're probably not going to see any footage from that game. It'll probably cut to him. Um, maybe they get eliminated. Is that is that what we're well, expecting to see happen? So I looked this up. And if people don't, mm-hmm. this might be a bit of a spoiler for episode three if you haven't heard it. They've messed with the timeline again here. So episode one was the 78 to 79 FA Cup Mm -hmm. where Darwin with Fergus Suter lost to the Old Etonians in the semi-finals, right? Um, In the first round in the 79-80 FA Cup, which is what we assume this is, right? Because it said six months later, so it's got to be the next season. They actually beat a team called Eagley 1-0 in the first round and then lose to Blackburn Rovers in the second round. But in 1880... After Fergus has already left to Blackburn, they did play Brig in the first round and they won hmm. 8-0. So what, and they went on a bit of a, a good old run. They went quite far, but without Fergus. What I think they've done is maybe they're going to mix up the, uh, the 79-80 and 80-81 seasons and meld them together because it's much more gratifying probably to watch them beat Brig 8-0 than beat Eagley 1-0. Right, because if you're not someone who understands football, I think it's quite hard to convey the fact that one nil can be a good win. Eight nil gives you lots of shots of goals going in, so I think that's what they're mm. going to show. They've they've mixed those, they deliberate, deliberately transposed those two games um, to show uh, uh, Darwin beating Brig eight nil in the first game. And if you, I mean, and if you wanted to be generous, you could say that that's that is probably like an intentional nod to history because you. Well, who was the team they beat one 0 The actual team was called Eagley in seventy nine eighty. Yeah, they easily could have made it like, oh, they beat. E- we're playing Eagley in the first round, and we and then they beat them eight 0 in the in the in the third episode in the next uh, episode. And by maybe keeping the names consistent, at least they're saying like, yes, we know this didn't happen here, but we're drawing from this tournament and not this tournament. So maybe that is a, a credit to them for sort of keeping consistent even while they're blending things. Oh, together. so you're forgiving that historical inaccuracy uh, because it's still a result that happened. Again, I don't really have a problem with that. Like, that's not the kind of historical inaccuracies I get annoyed with. It's, It's like... Basically, again, it's that Arthur Kinnaird wouldn't be that sympathetic of a character if he's not in Darwin running away from mobs and investing in a shirt factory that he, I'm fairly confident, did not actually invest in slash fast. I, so you, that was where I got a little bit frustrated. Did you go looking up Ted Stokes' like sure athletic did. wear or Ted Stokes' yes, I did. Um, jersey manufacturers? Mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything. Nor could I. I really wanted it to be like, did you mean Umbro? Yeah, because it <laughs> like, turned into Umbro. Like, oh, he found, yeah, yeah. I also looked up Walsh as well to see if, if he was real, which he he was. I don't know if he owned a mill, but there was definitely a, a Walsh from uh, from Darren. Darren oh, Darren. lovely, yeah. Um, I really like Walsh. I think he's one of my favorite characters because he really is doing his very best. I liked his um, his thing about, you mean that as an insult, but I take it as a compliment that he says to mm-hmm. Parker about um, identifying yeah. with the working man. Um, I, yeah. It's, it's going to break my heart to watch him get heartbroken. Yeah, I wonder what the, I wonder how they'll do that, or if he'll just be sort of like a, a sad footnote in the Fergus Suter story. Oh. And it's also mm-hmm. worth remembering that all these people are cheating. You are not supposed to be paying footballers. Oh, that's that's probably going to come up soon, right? That's got to come up. At that's going to be the. Like, I'm going to get to be moved to Blackburn. It's probably going to be that the Etonians are going to be. Yeah, mad. I think the whole FA board, which is also the Etonians, are going to be that. really mad. That's what this whole uh, show is about, right? It's not. It's about Fergus mm-hmm. Suter coming down, teaching the English how to pass a football, but it's also about the the beginnings of professionalism and how some people 
um, in the FA had to sort of uh, let go of their aristocratic ideals of football being a gentleman sport where you play for free mm-hmm. and let working class people get paid to, to play it. So all, all that is still to come, I think. On that note, though, I did look up uh, what he was being paid because I just found I found that interesting. Um, and I believe there's a quote, I think, from him where he says, like, he ne- to his credit, he never uh, – Ferguson, yeah, he never said, like, oh, yeah, we were being paid. He says, uh, like, I went there to be a stonemason, but then he said the stone they used, which is true. He, did, he was a stonemason when he moved uh, to Darwin. He said the stone used in the area made his limbs swell up. He was allergic to the stone, apparently. That was definitely a, uh, a very unlikely cover. Uh, but he said that we would go by the Jimmy Love. Yes. <laughs> uh, he said we would go by the accountant's office every couple weeks and expect 10 pounds, I think is what he said. Something like that. Uh, The average worker at the time was making less than two pounds a week. Uh, And so 10 pounds, I did the, uh, I looked it up, would have been about uh, 1,250 pounds today. Every couple weeks? Yes. Okay, that's not so bad. No, that's not so bad. Mm-hmm. That's not so bad at all. Uh, so that was that was one like sort of historical factual thing. And then I have another very weird uh, thought before we call it a day. <laughs> Please do share. So I have found myself like forgive like let me finish before you you uh, you chastise me for this. I have not found Al- Alma very relatable. Like I haven't been able to figure out like why I don't have more sympathy for her. Like and. And it took me until you asked me, like, who the, uh, what the name of the, uh, Gavroche, that actor is. Uh, Smalley, was yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when Keely I was looking up the, the cast, yeah, when I was looking at the cast, I realized where I know Alma from, and now I know why I find her off-putting and I don't trust Where'd her. Where do you know Alma from? Her, the actress's name is what, Charlotte Hope, maybe? Mm-hmm. She is Miranda uh, in Game of Thrones, Ramsay Bolton's lover slash uh, co-torture. Oh, dear. Yes, that is why. And as soon as I saw that her face, I was like, oh, I know why I don't like you. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those, it's, she's really, really good in that role, but it's such an evil role that it makes it hard for me not to see her. It's a little Anthony Hopkins where I'm always like, are you, you're Hannibal Lecter, right? You're Hannibal Lecter under there somewhere. She's never fully trusted. Nope, sure don't. He's going to eat my face. Anything else to add, Taylor? We've gone a little long, but I've actually quite enjoyed going through the episode this way with you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's been fun, and I, I I will say I was excited to watch episode three. I had to like I basically my wife and I are watching it. Uh, I don't want to get like ahead, so basically I watch an episode and then we record. So now that we've recorded this, we will probably go watch episode three tonight. My, my wife is out, by the way, on the show. I'm watch I'm is watching she? this solo is, now. Yeah, that does not surprise me. Based on uh, we we went by Daryl's house this weekend. We stayed. We stayed apart, but we just said hello. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, she seemed to be out on it then. Uh, <laughs> did she watch this episode or was no, she, she already No, she out saw episode one and she was out. Yeah. Yeah. That's Shannon has very high standards and she is, she's mm-hmm. not willing to make concessions, which is actually one she of the things not. I love about it because the shows that we do end up watching together tend to be very high quality, you know, like Vince Gilligan mm-hmm. or Tina Fey shows. You know what I mean? I have infinite respect for that because. It took me a really, really long time to like get away from being a completist of like, oh, I've started it. I got to finish yeah. it. Do you know the show that killed me on that one? The show that made me finally stop? No. Sons of Anarchy. Oh. That was the show where I was initially super into it and thought it was interesting. And then it was like, oh, 
another another thing that's going to cause them trouble. Cool, we're doing this again, again. Like it was the most repetitive show I think I've ever seen. And at that point, uh, yeah, I was out. I have not finished that one. And since then, I will get into stuff and just be like, nope, not for me. I'm not just going to stick with this just because. I've done it with Westworld. Do you remember I used to be hate watching Westworld? Yes. <laughs> so were you? I think you always try to convince yourself you weren't hate watching. Well, I still thought like, no, but the, it's like it makes me think. I kept thinking it still might be good. It still might be good. Mm-hmm. And then when the third season You're started, done? I just thought. You know what? No. <laughs> I've got all this time because of the pandemic. And yeah. I've, you know, I've got loads of shows that I'm into right now, like Devs, and I've got an episode of Better Call Saul still to watch. Um, nice. I don't need... There's movies. There's all kinds of movies. Um, mm-hmm. I don't need to put any time into Westworld. So I haven't. If this, it depends how long the pandemic lasts. Yes. All right. That's a, so if, if you run out of everything else, you'll go back to Westworld. Yeah, there we go. Got it. <laughs> um, one show that I, I tweeted about, and I really do, like, I think my wife was the first one to start watching it, like, that I know of, like, in terms of had a conversation with me, was The Good Place. But you are definitely the one who kept saying, you should be watching The Good Place. You will enjoy The Good Place. I tried I not I to hassle. It. I tried not to hassle, but I knew you would like it. I have watched it in its entirety at least twice oh, wow. and maybe three times. Um, I, I find that show to be amazing just to begin with, but especially these days where it can be really difficult to like have hope and faith in humanity, a show that exists like based around the idea that humans are fundamentally good and can change for the better is a show that I would strongly recommend people give a chance, but also because if you are like me, you watched maybe the first couple episodes and you were like, okay, I get where this is going. I don't know how they're going to keep this alive for a few more seasons, but sure. And I'm just going to say it takes some swings and some things change and it is worth watching. Yeah, they're very good, right? Very good with twists that sort of re- yep. re-up things. So it's a reset every season that gives you a slightly different mm-hmm. angle on everything. Yeah. I really, yes. really, really mm-hmm. like it. Before we sign off, I think uh, I meant to open this episode by saying thank you to everybody who uh, responded when we asked, email or tweet us if you to let us know if you want us to keep going with the English game reviews. If you are one of the people that sent a tweet or an email, um, we heard you and we thank you for taking the time to do that. I really, really mean it. Um, I won't name them, but there was literally one person who said, don't do it. I don't like the show. I don't want to hear about it. Everybody else said, yes, especially in this time of coronavirus pandemic, um, keep reviewing it. I'm going to keep watching it and I'll listen to the show. And I think I, I appreciated uh, the, the other few responses. I mean, I appreciated all the responses, don't get me wrong. But the ones that were basically like, normally I would say no, but there's nothing else to talk about. And like, I'm kind of into it. So sure. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that because that's about where I am. We would not normally be discussing a show that is somewhat about football. Somewhat but uh, given the situation, football, yeah. let's talk about it and all the other ones. Too. Uh, only barely a ball. No ball was kicked in competitive action um, in episode two of the English game. Nope. I'm assuming one was punted into the air when they showed up for the final game. Yeah, <laughs> I'm assuming it. that we uh, will get some more action in episode three and we will be back to talk about that probably later this week or early next week we're gonna slowly roll this out right because there is some other football stuff to talk about in the meantime there's listener questions there's the new ceo there's all kinds of of Mm -hmm. u.s soccer there's lots of interesting things still to talk about Oh, yeah, we probably should have teased that uh, up front. But, oh, Taylor, yeah, I, I will. I, I will, as part of the GoToMeeting ah, ad read. thank you, my friend. Then, yes, I'm excited to talk about that because that was quite the call, my friend. That was quite the phone <laughs> call today. Well, I couldn't be on that call because I was talking to Christian Polanco. He was recommending mm-hmm. stand-up specials to stream. I think you'll really enjoy that episode, Taylor. Uh, I, I'm, I am very excited, and I'm very excited to have new stand-up to watch so that I don't have to watch Westworld. <laughs> All right, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again very soon.
Smash!